Welcome to another episode of the Class Clown Podcast. This is your second episode of the week featuring your esteemed host, Chino Liao. That is my name. Pwede namang esteemed host din dahil sobrang hibit lately. It's been so hot and humid lately that standing in just one place for five minutes it already causes you to sweat. So... I hope you guys are staying in a cool place. I hope you guys are staying hydrated. I hope you guys continue to love the episodes that I produce. You know, I'm so I know that there are a lot of podcast options out there, and so if you guys take the time out of your busy schedules to listen to me, I am very, very grateful. I hope you guys listen to this week's solo podcast episode. Before you do listen to this interview, because the solo pod sheds a little light as to why I am both doing this particular episode, as well as sheds a little light into why I picked this particular city to talk about. Uh, this isn't the first time I've talked to comedians about their individual uh, local comedy scenes, and it won't be the last. And I explain why I want to do that on the solo pod. But this week, we are talking to two people about one of my favorite places in the world. Place that my family moved to uh, fairly long ago. I'm talking about San Francisco and the San Francisco Bay Area in California, USA. Um, I know it's confusing to say Bay Area and San Francisco because people think it's one city. Pero parang Metro Manila lang yan, you know. It's like Quezon City, you know, Paranaque, Mandaluyong. Maybe not Marikina, uh, but everybody else is, is, is welcome in Metro Manila. Just like in San Francisco, you have San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, and well, a, lo- a load of other places in the San Francisco Bay Area. Each of these places have different comedy scenes. So, who better to tell us about the unique characteristics and the history of a place than two comics I have met doing stand-up there as well as two comics who have embarked on doing a new book during the pandemic entitled Bay Area Stand-Up Comedy Nina G and OJ Patterson join us this week on the Class Clown Podcast. So let's go. get into this episode all about the history of stand-up of honestly one of my favorite cities in the world san francisco 
and the San Francisco Bay Area with my guests, the authors of the new book, Bay Area Stand-Up Comedy. Let's bring on Nina G and OJ Patterson on the podcast. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. So, yeah, so it's it. I just wanted to really have both of you on. Number one, because of the new book, right? The new book that you guys have out. But also because San Francisco as a comedy scene has always fascinated me. You know, because number one, it was the first scene really outside of Asia that I've ever been to. And quite possibly the only scene I've ever been to outside of Asia. You know, so it I so it's fascinating how you both of y'all have chronicled uh, the Bay Area stand-up scene so detailed, uh, like so. Can you first of all tell my listeners and us what it was like to start this book? Like, was it difficult to pick a topic, to pick a certain a starting point, and all that? Um, it was it was cool because it was um, you know, from moving from the Bay Area and also just life, uh, we hadn't talked in a while or hadn't made a um a consistent uh talk in a while and you know half of our relationship was was uh very inspired by just talking mess talking trash about uh <laughs> comedians in the scenes and and comedians yeah. that uh became notorious in the scene but we also just was like oh like I think, I think deep down inside, we both knew we had to write the book. Like it was like a spiritual quest. Like Nina has, uh, she has papers like, like, uh, for school that she wrote about stand up comedy history. And then me writing the blog was, was more of like, Oh, like, let me just, you know, document my time in comedy. I, I had been writing like, basically blogs about going to college and going to raves. But when I learned about San Francisco comedy, it was just like, oh, this is something bigger than anything I've experienced before. And it it keeps happening, like finding out new information, beget new information. So in a way, we have been uh, ready our whole lives, preparing our whole lives to, to write the book and uh, once Nino said, like, oh, we might be able to have like to pitch it to this publisher. And I had read a book from that publisher. So it just all kind of like it felt right. It felt good. It felt necessary. And yeah, from there, it, we just kind of w- went into a different gear. Right. So was there anything that surprised you guys? I mean, you just you guys have both been around a while in, in the comedy scene in general. So when you were doing your research, was there anything that surprised you? that to learn about San Francisco or Bay Area comedy? Yeah, I I think with, I think, but I don't want to step on Nina's story, but uh, she spoke to Margaret Gomez, who is, you know, uh, the tip top of San Francisco Bay Area comedy, in, in my opinion, in terms of what she's contributed to the scene as a performer and a writer, but also, you know, she's just like, you know, the big homie. She's always been, you know, really gracious and nice to me and so many other comedians kind of like 
she was just a good person to get a, a, a nod of approval from. And she was talking about um, this this club in the 80s and early 90s called the Valencia Rose. And then it became Josie's Juice, Juice Joint. And it was just like the kind of Holy City Zoo, which was another San Francisco club. Um, yeah, we just heard about that club and it was like, all right, so here's where like the gay queer comedy scene really developed and Nina had not heard about it officially until that talk with Margaret Gomez. And I had heard a little bit about it from like listening to podcasts. So like just that alone was like reason enough to be like, all right, well, we have to document some of these things that we're learning because they were formative for the scene at the time, like in the eighties and nineties, but they're definitely kind of like representative of where comedy ended up being for us. Uh, and that kept happening. We kept finding people being like, oh, this happened. And they were like, oh, that happened 30, 40 years later in this organic way. So, yeah, it was a constant like we're constantly learning about Bay Area comedy, even though we wrote the book on it, just because it's like it's so vast and so many people had different experiences. And, um, you know, people are sharing those experiences and then that's adding to the lore. So it's a constant conversation with the past. Right. Right. So it's interesting because you talked about comedy from all the way back in the in the eighties because I was I don't know about you, but I wasn't even alive in the eighties. <laughs> right. So so it's just the the depth of stand up you encounter in that time must have been uh must have been very intimidating, was it not? Or was it did you find any parts to grip too, uh, too difficult to grasp on not really because it's like we we originally started the book uh in the 50s at the purple onion the hungry eye and a few other and 440 wow um, okay. and so we had like a because that's well documented you can you can like lenny bruce who's considered kind of the comics comics of that time and like an icon of the of the scene he got arrested for the first time in san francisco wow, so that's like okay. that warranted enough like resources to, to point towards that but um so all that was pretty much covered and then we had a lot of people who are still doing stand-up from the 80s like larry bubbles brown and tom amiano and they were like, oh, yeah, I'll talk to you about my experience. So that was that was good to have. And then I had recording comedy kind of in my back pocket as like from the time of like 2000 to 2019. So we had the books it pretty much in chunks already. The real thing that 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 blew us away was like in the late part of writing the book, we learned that there's this comic who's considered like the first comic. His name is Armis Ward, which was like a, a persona of a writer named uh, Charles Farr Brown. And he was doing uh, pretty poorly in the 1960s or not the 1960s, the 1860s, uh, because there was a war, civil war. Yeah. <laughs> just, a little, yeah, just a little war that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah. That, that yeah. Thing, yeah. What, what the only, uh, the only uh, war that America has drawn most of the time they, they, they lose. Um, <laughs> so he went to the West coast 
And we just learned from uh, a historian slash comedian named uh, Rich Snyder. We just learned all this information about like, oh, you know, like instead of like flyers to get the miners to these shows, they would do a bonfire and then the miners from around would come through. And then like there was differences, like the, the minor camps were like dive bar comedy and there were giant theaters that were more like the punchline. And then, um, you know, they didn't have the dollar bill. Wasn't really a thing at that point, especially in the West. So like, he was being paid in like gold nuggets. Basically. <laughs> so it's like, Oh, so not only do we have, you know, we cover Chaplin a little right. bit. He lived in Fremont for like in the early 1910s, but like the first stand up comedian rose to prominence in San Francisco. So it was just a, a constantly evolving thing where we thought we had the, we had, we thought we had the book. We thought we had everything kind of figured out. And then we get this, big punch to the face of information that's just like, well, we have to include that. How, how do you guys pick and choose now? Because you say that you're met with this wave of information from all the way to the 40s and, and 50s. Or the, so now how do you guys pick and choose what to add to it? And um, what to remove? You know? For the most part, we just tried to be as accurate as we could. And um, I think like we know what we could speak to really well, which is to say like, you know, there's a chapter in there about uh, black comedy in the 1980s and the 1990s that like, I felt I had enough contacts with, uh, with a Tony Sparks, right. with a Donald Lacey, with an Inga Bilum to kind of get a texture for that part of the scene. So I chose like, and I'm, I'm black. <laughs> so it felt like don't worry, don't worry. this video is going to go up soon so people will be able to tell <laughs> and then um, I think we couldn't do everything you know we couldn't do because you know San Francisco it's, it's tough because it's a, it's a metropolitan city right. so you're dealing with like so many layers of reasons why people would come to the Bay area, why they would stay in the Bay area, why they would, uh, you know, raise their families in the Bay area from like black migration in the South to, you know, immigrants from different Asian, uh, countries. Uh, so you, you're dealing with something that would take 400 pages. If we talked about everything that ever happened that was funny in the Bay Area, it would be endless. It'd be massive. It'd it'd take multiple years and an editor and a legal team and all that. We didn't have that. So we just (laughs) said, let's do as much as we can with what we know and make it kind of weave into a story. And with that, I think we've hit this nice balance of like, all right, so let's talk about places. Let's talk about different. Like I talked about, you know, like social media becoming more prevalent in comedy or independent shows becoming more necessary, necessary. If you're a standup, you just have to produce shows. Like there's no way around it. Let's talk about examples of that, but let's not get buried in the weeds about like, and you know who else was funny? Cause then you'll just have a lot of people being, uh, upset about not being included in that big group of funny people. Right, right, right. So now, with regards to what you just said, you know, how to 
how you guys pick the information. A lot of the places you mentioned are no longer around for that comparison. <laughs> yeah. I, right? right? Almost yeah. all of them are not around. I mean, I met you guys at the Brainwash. Brainwash is no longer there, right? So how do you yeah. guys go about tracking down these different venues that you mentioned? Like, was it difficult for you to pinpoint like a certain timeline for any of the important places in the book? I, I don't think so, because I think the ones that we've focused in on were the ones that were a big deal, like the hungry eye. You can't miss the hungry eye. You can't miss the right. purple onion. You can't miss the brainwash and the zoo. The holy city zoo was was the brainwash of the 1980s. Um, and so there were those kinds of things that were kind of like touchstones and were the things that a lot of comics would go back to. So they would talk about like where they first started. And many of us have that one place. And for OJ and I, it was the brainwash. And for people like Larry Bubbles Brown and Dan St. Paul, it was the Holy City right, Zoo. Right, right, right. All right. So now that we are venturing into venues here, how did you, I, this is a question I've always wanted to ask people from San Francisco and I've asked people from the Bay Area, did you guys think that there's a there's a kind of comedy that's endemic to certain parts of the city? Like, is East Bay comedy different from the from San Francisco comedy? Is the North Bay different from the Peninsula? How do you guys differentiate that? Yeah, there is. And OJ can go into this more because I love his answer. But there was a story that Mill Dable told me that um, he had said that San Francisco audiences were more like a, a theater audience, that they were very patient and they would let the comic kind of explore. East Bay kind of wanted like, just be funny. Why aren't you funny? Be funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> And there was a story that Mill Dable told where there was a comic who was up. Um, it, it, it's a middle act was in the comedy club owner or manager's office and he was getting paid. And the headliner who was from San Francisco was up on stage. And this was a club in the East Bay. And the comedy club manager said to the middle act, do you hear that out there? And implying like, like the comics right. out there, right. he's dying and, and no one's laughing. And the middle act was like, yeah, I don't hear anything. And the comedy club manager said, see, that's art. <laughs> and that is the reputation that the San Francisco comics kind of had. Was that like, oh, right. the artsy fartsies um, who were kind of able to explore all these ways, um, but sometimes couldn't just right. do a type five. Right. OJ, you have anything to add? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, you don't want to categorize different parts of the scene too harshly because you know at a certain point one of the beautiful things is that like at the open mics and certain showcases it's mixed you know if you go to a a, a tony sparks kiko breeze show right. he, they they pull from everybody and so they're you know east bay comedians um especially like through talking with Tony Sparks and Donald Lacey and hearing a podcast with Marcus King, who's a, um, a manager for Jamie Foxx and Mark Curry. You just get a real sense of like, it's like a community event. It's like 
a happening, a party, like they, uh, there was an argument in the podcast with Marcus King and this manager named Barry Katz was like, oh yeah, I had like banquet seating and it would be, you know, pointed towards the stage. And then the Barry Katz was like, oh, that sounds horrible. Everybody should be pointing toward the stage. There shouldn't be any like space in between people. And Marcus King said the the uh, most mindful, interesting thing is that like, well, black people are looky, looky, lose. They, they like to look around. They like, to, it's like they're trying to stunt, even though they're at a comedy show where all the attention should be on the performer. And you can see that at Dorsey's locker. You can see that at the Englander pub in San Leandro, you can see that even at Tommy T's like capturing that energy of like, Oh, like, yeah. Like comedy doesn't exist as like this abstract, theatrical kind of thing it's like we want the hecklers to be put down quickly fast funny we want people that you want no uh esoteric crowd work we want somebody who looks crazy to be told that they look crazy and they in trying to teach or trying to manifest comedy because like mark marcus king was like oh yeah most people didn't know what comedy was like like when he approached women, Tony Sparks would approach women because he knew they needed a laugh. They needed a relief. So if you get that, you know, the head person of that, that woman's group, now you got eight women who would go to the show as well as like a bunch of dudes who'd be like, Oh, where are the women who also are going to the comedy show and using all that social engineering, they still didn't make it like, Oh, this is like going to, you know, the war field, or this is like going to the independent, like, no, this is like going to the same place we go to Kimball's West. That's a place that people are going to to have a good time. It's not there for comedy. They might be there for pool. Dorsey's locker, <laughs> they're there for the food. They're there for the camaraderie. If you're not funny enough to cut above the den, yeah. then you aren't, you aren't the comedian right. for them. Um, and then like, you know, North Bay, um definitely older you know marin county throckmorton that whole scene um you know a lot of wine shows wine bars and then in the south bay you get a lot of uh latino american comedian representation especially with the improv you know felipe esparza he filmed one of his comedy specials at the improv and you get people like pete munoz um repping it for people down there but i don't think it's specifically uh along racial lines i think south bay are just like they're they're the part of the bay but they don't get the same notoriety as oakland san francisco or even berkeley but there's such a culture of just like good-natured people hard-working people who just want to like if they as a part of the scene, they're the most close knit part of the scene. Like they stick up for each other mm-hmm. down there. So, cause they know that they're not going to get the same respect as the people who would come down to do some shows in the, in the South Bay. So it's just like, yeah, everywhere you, you just get in where you fit in, you go to where the laughs are, goes where your crowd is. You kind of develop based on that and you can really figure yourself out within the Bay because of how much stage time there is. And because of so many different walks of life, go to do comedy, go to see comedy that you, you got to speak to somebody. 
there's got to be a crowd. Right. Out there. It may be very small. Right. You may be like an iconoclast of the open mic scene, but there's got to be, you know, a group of people who think you're funny. And then once you get in there, you can kind of build out from there. Right. Right. So now that we, you know, it's, it's interesting because what I'm getting at here is that all these different pocket scenes have different sorts of audiences. But what mm-hmm. I want to ask is as a whole, do you think the audiences in the Bay Area are unique to the Bay Area? Like, are you going to be able to find these types of audiences across the country? I mean, I think so. I think to a large part, yes. I think traditionally, yes. I think sometimes now they're a little too much on their phones or they're doing it because they want to get their selfie in and, and that kind of thing. But I think traditionally they have been... They, they want to see something cool. They want to see something new. They want to be the first ones to see it. Because <laughs> we have to here of the first ones who got to see Robin right. Williams were here. The ones who got to see Steve Martin headline, they were here. Um, so they, they kind of know they're on the cutting edge. And so they want to experience that. And doesn't go all the time but i think a lot of times yeah right I, i've been saying that the bay area is the zeitgeist i mm. think there's always this kind of thing that like comedians always want to write about something that's in the news what's their own personal spin on like the world around them culture around them and you get that way before anyone else by just the people who do stand up and also the people who see stand up in the bay area um like when I started hearing about all these national headliners having so much trouble speaking about, you know, the emergence of, of, uh, trans people in pop culture, it was like, yo, that's been going on since I started doing it. Like comedy, like knowing comedy in the Bay, like there's representation in that field that because that's around and they're, you know, those people are so funny you got to be on your, you got to be mindful. You got to know what you're talking about when you want to address these issues. And if you're from the Bay, you absolutely know that. Cause like you can't be, you can't be a hack in the Bay area. You have to be sincere in some way, shape or, f- you know, form or, or you just have to be knowledgeable. You have to write to your audience. And because there's so many different audiences, you have to be kind of smart. Because it's a savvy audience. Chappelle said it first, he, ironically. It's a savvy audience. <laughs> and um, I think the cool thing about it all is that, like, like, one of my favorite things about the Bay, just in general, is that, like, those people who kind of become representative of the conversation around comedy in general develop in the Bay. It's not just like, oh... Ali Wong or Hassan Minaj yeah. or W. Kamal Bell were like, they got on the scene. They were instantly the most popping comedians. Like, no, they hustled. They developed their brand. They developed their voice. And they did that around each other so that, like, they all came from the same kind of segment of the Bay Area uh, in terms of timeline. But they're vastly different comedians. And they're talking about the things that are happening right here, right now. And it's... It's the difference between, you know, talking about what might be going on and expressing something from your experience. And that 
expression of your experience is going to hit 10 times out of 10 because there's just more texture, more details, more flavor. Um, and it's going to be impactful for your your audience because they're going to be like, oh, I feel seen. You may be making fun of me for going to Burning Man or whatever, <laughs> but like, I know you were on the playa. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, right. So now that we've tried to, or at least I've tried to encapsulate the Bay Area comedy scene as in 30 minutes we've been talking. I just want to ask you guys, as some as people who've chronicled the San Francisco Bay Area comedy scene, do you think the scene as a whole is slept on by um, by the comedy world? Like, is San Francisco the first thing or the first city that comes to mind when people talk about comedy in the U.S.? And it's... Even though I think that Bay Area comedy changed comedy across the world, I don't think we get that credit. Um, I think New York and LA are seen as those hubs. And of course they're those hubs because that's where the industry is. And then from there, Boston and Chicago, but we are just right up there with those two, with the Boston scene and the Chicago scene. And I argue that we're probably a little more special because when Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce and Phyllis Diller played in North Beach, those are the people who changed comedy. And San Francisco has been a place where comics can develop their voice. And oftentimes they will go elsewhere to then go to that next step. Um, And I think, People outside of the Bay Area do not recognize it. And people in the Bay Area do not (laughs) recognize it, especially comics. Comics love to kind of think um, they're spawns of Richard Pryor, and that's about it. Um, But we're spawns of so many people. And that OJ and I kind of hope that comics will learn their history to know where they spawned from. Um. Well, I think, like, if you know, you know, like the reason why there were, I call it the Boston to San Francisco pipeline, where you had Paula Poundstone and Bobcat Goldthwait and Dana Gould all come into San Francisco, Kevin Kevin Meany, Tom Kenny all come into San Francisco at the same time is because if you're in comedy, um, you quickly learn where's the stage time where is the infrastructure to do as much comedy as possible and you slowly get you know there's like 10 american cities where you can just like show up unannounced and get a couple of shows in the next week or so doing open mics san francisco has always been that um you have people coming from all over the country, whether it's for a few months or a few years that understand that like here is a place that is weird. It's different. It's unique. And there's a lot of stage time. Um, The cool thing about it though, is that like, whether they know it or not, historically there have been people who've come to the Bay area. They're not from here. They didn't, we're not their first start. Um, But right after there's a seismic shift in how they do comedy. Like Steve Martin, always funny. He's a great writer. He's writer for TV, comes up to the Bay, starts playing at the boarding house, the intersection, boom. He's like 
in the next couple of years, he's the comedy superstar so much so that he had to stop doing comedy because right. he was like <laughs> so big, like the, the, the premier comedy megastar experience in San Francisco, same with Richard Pryor. He was like a normal, like a normal, you know, clean cut across the color barrier, black comedian. He was the next uh bill cosby dick gregory and he said i can't do this anymore you know leaves his show in las vegas ends up in berkeley doing one person podcast basically and at the next couple years next five years he becomes one of the biggest comedian stars of all time same with Whoopi goldberg she started in new york went to san diego came to the bay developed her act developed her voice and then immediately immediately after that she still had ties in the bay her mom lived there and whatnot but immediately after uh she you know developed her one person shows she gets cast in the color purple and then becomes comedy royalty like if you if you take into consideration everything she's done from sister act to ghost to everything she's like for the early 90s she was like yeah. the biggest comedic star and that i don't think we can say like oh because san francisco attracted these people and allowed them to develop that's the reason why they became so big but like you can't remove that section of the story for them and it still makes sense. I think at the end of the day, it's like the Bay Area is dope. It's just a dope place to be. There's cool people and there's cool things to see. And, you know, at a certain time, there was the, the rents were cheap and you're away from the cameras, you're away from agents, you're away from managers. You're just doing your art. And that's always going to be the case, even with the tech boom, even with, you know, giant migration patterns between demographics. It's like. I don't know. Like I, I was in the Bay Area in West Oakland, and I had never seen anything like it. <laughs> you know, like the intersection of race, sexuality, gender expression, uh, religion. You know, just like city planning. Like I saw it on one block in like ten minutes. I felt a different energy. So, like, yeah, if you come to the Bay Area, it's going to feel vastly different than anywhere in this and and in the country, in the world, and every pocket that you go to is wildly different from the next. So you get a real, you get a real sense of the the world, the real sense of, of um, the the multicultural experiment that we all try to make uh, prevalent in some way. That exists uh, for good and for bad in the Bay Area. Right. Right. Thank you guys for doing this with me. Um, I appreciate everything you've uh, taken from your book and told me for free. I will still get a, I will still get a copy though. Don't worry, I have one on the way. Uh, but I, I am very glad that we got to do this talk because I am such a like yourself. I am such a comedy nerd as well, and I and I just love talking about different scenes and trying to encapsulate what makes that scene unique. So as a last uh, podcasty question for both of you, wrap things up, and this might be a wide stroke here. Since both of you have chronicled San Francisco's comedy history all throughout, how do you think the scene has changed from its early days to right now? I mean, I think we're still coming out of the pandemic and we're still feeling the effects of that. And um, 
some audiences are just so hungry for comedy and others just aren't there. And so there's been like this big inconsistency of no crowd versus this is the greatest crowd ever because they're just so happy to be outside and, and, and not in their house. Um, and we were also doing comedy in weird places. Like I did, I've done comedy on the sidewalks of the hate where I'm heckled by a man across the street. Um, <laughs> weird times, strange times, but also like kind of exciting and, and kind of fun. Um, so, you know, there's always kind of that weird element that we've, had thanks to people like Robin Williams and we're still able to engage in a little bit, a little bit. I wish it was more weird. I wish there were more misfits than, than like um, people who have it together. But um, <laughs> I love the misfits the most. I was in special ed as a kid. That is who I love. Um, but nonetheless, um, I hope San Francisco stays weird and strange and makes room for that in their comedy, but also being safe too. Right. OJ. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, Nina has the best perspective because she's currently in the trenches right. right now. I think from just the research from the book, it was, it's tremendous to see when the local media cares about comedy, like, <laughs> In the 80s, there were two different, there was like it was going called Harpoon, and then the other one was called like San Francisco Stand Up Magazine. Two different print wow. publications wow. about Bay Area comedy wow. specifically. The Chronicle had a year in review column where they would tell you who was coming in from other places in the country and who was leaving for LA and New York. Um, and, you know, there was a, a, a fair amount of TV and radio that um, was just filmed and produced in the Bay Area. That's just like, yo, like, here's a local TV show with Bobby Slayton uh, hosted by Whoopi Goldberg. Like, here's a radio show listened by everybody who was got everybody to the shows that needed to be got to, you know. Um, so I tried to do my best when I was doing courting comedy and, um, you know, there's a few writers and, and at the Chronicle, at the East Bay Express, at the, uh, at the Guardian, uh, and, and at the, um, Examiner who he'll, they'll do their due diligence to say like comedy is still happening in the Bay, but that minute to minute kind of like beacon to let people know, you know, this show has been canceled. This, I mean, for a place with so much technology, you would think that solution would already exist, but it doesn't. But that's where you're going with comedy is that like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook are all nice to promote an event, but being able to switch on the fly, let people know if something's going on, if the show's dead, if they should come through, if there's like a, like a set open, like there's so many things that, that fundamentally we know as comics to be true of the lifestyle that we're still catching up to as not just uh, performers and producers, but like consumers of comedy. I think every day the edu there's a education barrier to just enjoy stand up. You're probably if you're like your first time watching stand up or you're like you only go once a year, you're probably not going to be hip 
to different shows and different things that you should be doing at those shows, namely being quiet, but mostly like <laughs> understanding that like this is like a an art form. This is a cherished tradition. And like you're a part of that experience and it's not always going to be joke, joke, joke. So yeah, there's a lot of things that um the, the the name of the game is still the name of the game, you know, get people to the show, entertain them. But, you know, there's a lot of nuances based on the region and there's a lot of nuances based on just where we are technology and with COVID and, and so much stuff. And hopefully people are still like encouraged to look that stuff up. I just wish it was a little bit more um, more in their face, a little bit more inescapable, because that's how it felt when I was in Bay. Is like oh, comedy's everywhere. Like I can't, I can't throw a rock without hitting an open rack. Right, right. You guys, very well said. Amazing, amazing time with both of you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. Now, um, I don't know if your book is available outside the U.S., but we have listeners from all over the world to tune in. So I'd like to give you this time to tell them about your book and about where they can find you online. Know that book, OJ. I don't have mine near me. Uh, yes, it's Bay Area Stand-Up Comedy, A Humorous History. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on uh, our website, bayareastandupcomedy.com. Uh, we have kind of like the unofficial official place to get it is uh, Books on B and Hayward. Uh, if you can't make it there, they'll ship it to you. Uh, just give them a holler. And yeah, it's it's been, uh, it's been cool seeing what people think about what the book is and reminiscing about their time in San Francisco comedy. It's, it's been nice. All right. Hey, thanks guys. Thanks Nina and OJ Patterson. Thank you, everybody. Thank Thank you, you. Gino. Good seeing you. G and OJ Patterson for joining me today. I wanted to do this interview, this talk, this episode for the longest time. Wanted to sit down with people who really knew about what the scene had to offer. And Santa, the videos I put up will bring justice to the scene because it's a very beautiful, very vibrant and diverse comedy scene. And I hope that you know, it sheds a little light or a little more light into the city of San Francisco as well as the other cities I have talked about in the past. Now, I know they mentioned a lot of names here that you might have had to Google, um, but if you really, really want to buy a copy of the book, uh, please do so. It's available on Amazon. Um, and if you do buy a copy and need a little help with shipping, you can DM me on social media and we can work something out. Anything, you know, to support the good people who make stand-up comedy a beautiful, beautiful thing. Hey, speaking of beautiful things, guys, there are many ways you can support this podcast to keep, to help me keep producing all these, uh, this amazing content. Things like Lazada affiliate codes, Shopee affiliate codes, Amazon affiliate codes. Meron tayong yan. Meron din tayong shout out. Gusto niyo shout out from me? Pwedeng pwede yan. 
If you want to buy me a coffee, a coffee on Kofi, K-O-F-I, you can do so as well. All the links on how you can support me are available on my link tree, linkdr.ee slash supersized. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. That is where I will be putting out these uh, videos of this episode as well as the videos for the Laugh Clip series. But until next time, my name is Chino Liao. This has been a podcast network Asia production. Powered, of course, upon Netflix. Goodbye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.